0: Welcome to the audiobook version of the novel, Mercy Not Sacrifice, by Dan Parks, read by the author. Chapter 18, Grandpa John's Last Day Life is a long journey, a heavy haul, and for a carman a long drive. It's been the little things that have added up to make my life. During my childhood, when I tried to save face for my parents in their divorce, growing older and trying to pull my weight in the business and living with myself after Lori's death. I'm a third generation truck driver and the one thing that we know how to do is keep moving. A driver is like a refugee as it is in exile that he finds his place. Weekends don't even put the mind at ease because Monday lingers on his mind and it is on leaving that he finally arrives. The highway is a nice place to see the country but a truck is no place to make a home. After Grandma Marta died, and he had had his fallout with the family, Grandpa John took a leave of absence from the company. He had been off the road for about a year, and for the first time in his life, he had taken a liking to his home. He woke up that morning with a smile that he hadn't had in a year, and in the kitchen after his first cup of coffee, he walked to the curb to get the newspaper. At the mailbox hidden underneath the newspaper, he pulled out a single white envelope. It was addressed to him with the return address of Carmen Carriers, Inc. Sitting back at the kitchen table, he studied its wood. He investigated the table's construction in an attempt to sand out the memories that it held in its 40 years in the Carmen household. Forty years of daily use had worn the surface, as each scar and blemish was a testament to an occurrence or an event or a tragedy that had happened in the family. At the head of the table was a white spot the size of a notebook where Grandpa John had stayed awake to have one more drink after Grandma Marta had went to bed. After finishing most of the bottle, the drunk had caused a blackout and his head fell down on the table, spilling out what was left of the handle of brandy. Archie had worn a circle in the middle of the table from scrubbing it with a sponge after the flu had caused him to lose his stomach. Sam never did like cauliflower, but he'd wanted to please his mother. So he finished his plate by shoving it into the pocket hole joints on his side of the table and remnants of the vegetable still remain there. Once, on an early afternoon after school, my dad had reclined at the table with his feet up and his chair back and a stolen cigarette from Grandpa John was in his mouth. While taking his first drag, Grandma Marta walked in and he had tried to snuff it out, but the burning cherry fell on the table in front of him and the cigarette ember burned both the tabletop and his forearm that concealed it. Grandpa John took a single blade pocket knife out of his pocket and set it next to the letter on the table. He opened the blade and rested it against the envelope. The tip of the metal began to cut against the seal, but he stopped a third of the way and set both the knife and the envelope down, and slowly finished his coffee. Shortly thereafter, he found himself knocking on the rectory drawer. Simon the priest answered, wearing his study glasses. "'John,' Simon the priest said. "'Please come in and join me. "'I am back at the kitchen, at the table.' Grandpa John followed Simon the priest back to his kitchen. A small blue hardcover Bible and a black notebook sat open at the table. "'Take a seat,' Simon the priest said as he gestured towards the table. Grandpa John sat down with the letters shaking in his hands. Simon the priest walked to the refrigerator and opened it. "'Would you like a beer, John?' he asked. "'Please.' "'Grandpa John responded. "'He was calmed by the winsome nature of Simon the priest. "'It was the thing that had surprised him the most on that very first visit. "'I hope pale ale is fine,' Simon the priest said as he sat two open bottles down on the table. "'Grandpa John nodded in approval. "'The friendship of the two had matured in such a way that they didn't need to fill each moment with conversation. "'Often, they waited in silence until the speech between them happened organically.' The bottles of beer were empty before Grandpa John began to speak. That's good beer, he said. Simon the priest smiled in agreement and then looked down at the letter in Grandpa John's hands, encouraging him to go forward in his discourse. I got this in the mail today, Grandpa John said as he tapped the edge of the envelope on the corner of the table. Archie and Sam have offered me a buyout for my business. Simon the priest could see that his mind was turning and allowed him time to find the words. I'm divided, Grandpa John said. They have grown the business, and I am proud of them. I want to be there to encourage them, but I also want to thank you. I am unsure of what to do. Outside the rectory's sliding glass door was a show of Gardenstown in autumn. The leaves had begun to turn, and the colors of gold and crimson and vermilion littered the town in their beauty. Some trees had let go of their leaves, but others had held on for that second hard freeze. The squirrel scurried and hopped across the dormanting grass. He picked up a nut. In his mouth and stood on his back legs and watched the men inside. Look, Grandpa John said, two redbirds in the tree. I see," responded Simon the priest. On a tree limb, a third of the way up the seventy-five-foot sugar maple centered in the backyard, were two northern cardinals. A mother prompted her son to leave the nest. The eyes of the young bird looked to his mother in fear as he walked to the edge of the limb. But then he turned back, and the mother turned away in response as her nest was now shut off to him. He hopped a few steps from the nest and looked back over his shoulder, but she would not look at her son. Towards the end of the branch, he glanced back at his mother one last time, and his mother had covered her face with her wing. The young bird then leaped off and took flight, never to come back again. "'You know, John,' Simon the priest said, "'I never had the opportunity to have children.' But I do know that a certain amount of maturity has to develop for a child to become grateful to his parents. We are taught in the commandments to honor our father and mother, but if I had to pick one I thought was disobeyed the most, it would be that. Grandpa John looked to Simon the priest. The man across the table from him was the first real friend that he had had since the military. My advice, Simon the priest said, sign the document and give your boys a chance. Grandpa John shuffled his feet at the thought. He rose from his chair and walked to look out the glass door. Do you mind if we step outside? Grandpa John asked. The back patio of the rectory had a donated furniture set that was in decent shape. A full-size black wrought iron table and five matching chairs that rocked and swiveled. Simon the priest brought out two more pale ales and followed him outside and placed the beers on the table. Thanks, Grandpa John said as he took the uncapped bottle in his hand. Simon the priest sat down in the far chair with his back towards the church as he faced the school and the Missouri River. A gust of wind blew in off the river and Grandpa John remained standing and gazed over the western horizon at the approaching storm clouds. The air has grown cool, Simon the priest said. Grandpa John was burdened by the idea of what to do with the money. It had been his life's sacrifice that had made it, and he didn't need it at this stage in life, nor did he want it. He was in the in-between, the time after the earning years and just before the giving away period. You know, Grandpa John said, if I take the buyout, I'll get a large sum of money. I have always known you to be a wealthy man, Simon the priest said. What's different about this? I haven't gone without for a long time, Grandpa John responded, since before my sons were born. But this is different. It'll be one large lump sum. What do you think would be the best use for it? Simon the priest asked. Grandpa John turned away and looked back to the river and then at St. Michael's School. The back playground around the building had the same decrepit arrangement from forty-five years ago when his sons had attended. Up the hill, a gust of wind blew against the south side of the school building and tore through the outdated windows. Then his eyes became focused on where the west corner of the building met the south corner. The foundation of the school is settling, Grandpa John said. It has been, Simon the priest responded. It's been growing worse ever since my arrival. The school runs off donations and ties to the church. We have eight teachers and a principal who can barely feed their families on the salary that we pay. The diocese puts most of his money into the church and thinks we are supposed to fund the school on our own. But there's never enough money for building repairs. Budgets run out. But time wears on. I want to use the money to help the school, Grandpa John said. But my whole life, I thought my legacy would be what I leave behind for my family. I don't know what they'll think about it." "'What does John want to do?' asked Simon the priest. "'What do you mean?' responded Grandpa John. Simon the priest looked at him as intently as a teacher would a student. A man can't go through his entire life making decisions based on what other people think. The clouds to the southwest of the lawn began to grow darker still and move towards them. The air grew humid and dense and heavy with indecision. A once soft and sweet breeze grew hard and sour, and bounced off the brick church and landed on the men. If your legacy stopped you the moment before you were going to die, John, and asked, Are you going any further? Would you? Grandpa John took the letter from his back pocket and held it up in his hand. I would, he responded. The two men gave each other a look of appreciation that only seasoned friends can give and Simon the priest looked up at the now almost black sky and gestured Grandpa John inside. It was at his table that he signed the buyout agreement and deemed the beneficiary of the funds to be St. Michael's Catholic School. "'Thank you, friend,' Grandpa John said. He dropped the envelope off at the post office and drove home. He sat back down in the kitchen, but this time at his rightful place at the head of the table. He picked up the town's weekly paper and settled on the section titled, "'Remember When.'" It contained a headline from 50 years ago about a local Pinewood Derby event. It was when he had helped his boys build their cars in the first shop that Carmen Carriers had. Archie's car was bright orange with white racing stripes. Sam placed last as he was more concerned about how his brothers did than with his own car. And with Sam's help, my dad built his car soundly and won the event. His warm thoughts continued down the hallway of his house, where family pictures lined the wall, He looked first at his own wedding portrait taken behind the church when the sugar maple behind the rectory looked as if it had just been planted. He looked youthful in his service uniform, and Grandma Marta had been the prettiest woman in the world, wearing a white satin long-sleeved gown that had to be let out just above the womb before the ceremony. School pictures of his sons and their wedding pictures were on the wall. Archie and Sam posed behind the church like Grandpa John and Grandma Marta, but my dad and my mom's portrait had been taken out front as a photographer had suggested taking their portrait by a blooming dogwood tree that is dead now. Images of the five grandchildren covered the rest of the hall. Kylie sitting upon a jet ski during the summertime, Bill sitting at his desk at his first job, Lenny with a state championship basketball trophy, my brother Ian wearing his cap and gown during his college graduation, and a picture of me at the shop standing in front of my first truck. Grandpa John stood in that hall longer than most would have He appreciated the life that he had been given. His legacy called to him that day and he answered in gratitude. He left the hall and walked to look over the back porch. The sun in the western sky that day had shone with all its might, but it couldn't keep out the approaching storm and a chill ran down his spine and he grew cold. He went and sat down at the far chair in the kitchen and watched the sky as the dark blue storm clouds filled it. That was when he touched his ear and felt the pain. An hour passed until the time of day crept into the late afternoon when the schools let out and he began to grow tired. Coffee, he said to himself, that's what I need. His feet drug the ground on the way to the kitchen. He put water on to boil and took the jar of instant coffee out of the cabinet and sat it next to the stove. His heart began to beat fast as beads of sweat formed on his forehead and trickled down his face. His left shoulder grew numb, and his eye began a slow and painful twitch. I better go sit down, he said, walking to his living room chair by the window. A school bus passed by outside, and raindrops began to fall on the roof and lightly speckle the glass in front of him. All thoughts of the buyout were gone, but a sudden flash of Jeffrey's face came to his mind. Grandpa John stood up to get his phone in the kitchen, but his feet didn't work, and with his second step he fell to the floor, giving all of his will With his three remaining breaths of life, he said, Lord, have mercy. And the kettle of water on the stove began to whistle, but no one was there to stop it.